0: Welcome to this episode of Police to the Beach, the side series to Police in Ireland that looks at current policing issues, providing comment, insight and analysis from experts. Yesterday, George and Kenjo was shot and killed by police. The 27-year-old black man, who his family say had mental illness, had threatened and assaulted staff in a shop, armed with a knife. He subsequently walked home where a deployed a pepper spray, a taser, before ultimately firing five shots. This is what we've been told. GSOC have commenced an investigation and we cannot preempt the outcome or impinge on that investigation in any way. We cannot speculate as to what happened. What we can do, however, is consider and identify the questions and concerns that the incident raises, issues which we hope the investigations will address and resolve. I'm delighted to be joined today by two experts, Nana Nubi, a PhD candidate at the University of Limerick, and Dr Lucy Michael, sociologist and expert on racism. Thank you both so much for speaking to me today. Could I perhaps start by asking what your initial reactions and concerns were when you started? Maybe, Nana, do you want to start us?
1: Yes, yeah, so thank you for having me here, Vicky. So, yes, yeah, so when I first, my sister was actually the one who sent me a text to say, um, to sent to send the article first, and then she said this was a black guy from Blanche, And then she sent his picture and I immediately began to sob because I realized that George was actually a friend of mine that I grew up with when I did live in Blanchardstown. So that for me was, it was a very overwhelming and shocking news to hear that someone that I knew, someone that is part of our community, a brother or son, um, was no longer here with us. So that was my initial reaction. It's absolute devastation, not just for the fact that we lost him, but also for the wider community and, and of course particularly, his family.
0: Yeah, it's really a heartbreak. I I don't think any of us can even understand what it must be like for family and friends um, at this time, and you know our thoughts are very much with them.
2: Lucy, what was your reaction? I I mean, first. It- you know, th- thank you for having this conversation. I, uh, you know, I like it's, like Nano. When I got a message to say what had happened, my thoughts immediately went to uh, friends who have teenage black sons. Um, you know, who are uh, raising them in Ireland, fearful for their safety uh, day in day out. Um, not just in terms of unguarded shikona and whether they're they're adequately protected. Um, but but in general in our society, whether they are safe will be safe growing up. And uh, particularly I was thinking of the young people that I've been working with across this year who were feeling very much uh, under surveillance from Gardaí, um during the lockdown as they were off school uh, in the streets, feeling very much that um, being black and young uh, on the streets of Dublin and elsewhere uh, was to be part of um, a, a situation where you were constantly being watched by everybody, uh, watched for any false step you might make, and I and I was thinking about those people and the concerns that they've been expressing to me over the last year, two, three years, um, a, a, about their safety and their concerns. And so I can certainly understand the emotional impact uh, that this is having, um, and I share their fears.
0: And I know, like you're both so close to these communities. I mean, we're, we also obviously. Um, are very conscious of the fact that there are people that were working in the shop that have been deeply traumatized by what happened yesterday, Um, people in the community that witnessed the events. Um, And of course, there is a guard who woke up today knowing that he had taken a life yesterday, which no guard ever wants to be in that position. Um, And so that raises some of the institutional questions around um, how situations are being handled. Um, And I think we wanted to start by just kind of, I suppose, basing this in a human rights framework. Um, And that, you know, the key one in this moment, first of all, is the right to life, which is enshrined under the European Convention of Human Rights um, under Article 2. Can you explain to us a bit, Lucy, about when when that right can be breached or or how it works?
2: Every government has a set of regulations and laws around when force can be used by the state against individuals. Uh, so our Shia Kona, uh, our, our army, uh, many, many other services all have guidelines that say to them when they can use force uh, in doing their jobs. Um, we have an armed support unit in Angara Kona that are trained uh, to know when to use uh, force of various levels, including lethal force. Um, and that's what was used yesterday. It's very rare that that should be used. It's absolutely a case of last resort. Um, And uh, you'll find that international human rights organizations are very critical of any government that doesn't adequately investigate um, deaths uh, that occur using lethal force uh, by state agencies. For the very simple reason that regardless of what somebody does, um, if they're a suspect uh, in terms of criminal offense, while you, you're absolutely right to acknowledge the rights and, and the concerns of everybody else involved, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, nobody should be losing their life in that situation, in that incident. If there is a suspect, um, they should. They do have a right to due process. They have a right uh, to arrest, to investigation, to fair prosecution, uh, to trial. Uh, and, and, uh, and so on. Uh, and those are all carefully guarded and we have to guard them for every single person in a society. So you can't pick and choose those rights to apply to certain groups. Uh, and although the emotions in an incident like this uh, draw a lot of people to say, well, you know, uh, what could, what else could you do? The reality is that there is a huge amount of uh, well-developed practice, policy, research uh, internationally on how to de-escalate events and preserve those rights, even in the most difficult situations, it may well have been the case that even following best practice, a suspect might die with the use of that kind of force. Uh, And lethal force is, you know, in very rare occasions, um, the the absolute uh, necessity. Uh, But it, it should be the absolutely rarest situation. And, um you know, as you say, you know, members of the armed support unit don't want to use lethal force. What we, uh, it, what it behoves us to ask in a democracy where we're concerned with the rights of every suspect and their right to due process is, was everything done to avoid using lethal force? And did the officers on the scene have adequate support, training, instruction, guidance, uh, both in that moment and in the years up to it? Uh, to help them to make the right decision in that moment. I know certainly commentators online last night were saying, what else was a guard to do in a moment's notice? But the reality is that these guys are trained for that moment's notice um, over years. um, And and, uh, and it is the organisation's responsibility to make sure that they have the relevant information and support uh, to make the right decision.
0: And of course the human rights instruments place obligations on the state because they are the ones with the powers and the resources in the situation Um, and so those obligations are placed on them. And I suppose just by way of context I was taking a look earlier, um, this is I think the second shooting that's made media news this year. There was a man shot in Mallow in, I think it was in May at a checkpoint. was not fatally wounded Um, but if you look so this year for the first year the Garda Commissioner has been producing use of force statistics and providing those to the policing authority and so we know that from January until the end of November there were 14 firearms discharged 31 tasers used 224 batons, and 822 pepper sprays so while thankfully very few people are killed by the police in Ireland Um, you know, 14 uses of firearms in 11 months is not nothing. Um, And as you say, there's a great deal of training. Traditionally, we had the fact that about a third of the organization was actually armed, mostly detectives. Um, But that is being kind of, attempts are being made to constrain that in and have it just that properly, regularly trained people have access um, to those. Um, And obviously, a lot of the questions that have come up in, in the immediate aftermath, are related to the fact that um, George is a black man um, and concerns around policing and racism. Um, can I ask, Nana, what what concerns come to mind for you um, in the immediate aftermath?
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. So I mean, I'm actually, I'm doing the research right now when i'm looking at the attitudes perceptions and experiences of people of african descent with on guarda shirkana we we've heard reports in the community of alleged police brutality particularly amongst the young black males over policing as well amongst the young black males and this has been a concern for many young people and also their parents i, mean, I know myself like i have a brother he was, you know, typical six six foot six foot four, um, black guy from Blanche. So we do, you know, have conversations with him about being cautious and careful, and that's because of what we've seen other people in the community experience um, at the hands of Guardi when they when they're stopped for for any any reason whatsoever, whether be it loitering or you know, dri- 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 driving without uh, the proper papers. So we've heard that there've been issues in the community where, of course, it's the police is very much entitled to, and this is their job to police and to protect. However, we've heard that there've been allegations against police where, when they have um, interacted with um, people of African descent, there there has been use of uh, abusive, racist um, language by the by um, Garda Síochána, and there's been. So so when so we when we've seen we've heard that these kind of things have been taking place in the community, and so our community has been on I wouldn't say on edge but definitely put on aware we've been put on alert in that sense, and then of course with um with the with the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement in the in the United Nations and across the world in the United States and across the world, we we have been now armed with knowledge of. What could potentially happen, and that and that 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 actually has really inspired the research that I'm that I'm that, that I'm that I'm that I'm doing, and so with that knowledge, knowing that okay, we need to be cautious and we need to be aware that you know police people guardy are human beings and have the same biases as anybody has, in whether or not they they, they wear the, the the uniform or not, and being aware of that and then. We can't. It's very difficult for us as a community to remove that from this exceptional use of force that, like you said, really, very rarely happens in Ireland. So there's, of course, the community is saying, "Is there racism here? Like, should we be afraid? Like, should are are we safe? Like, fair fair enough? They were doing their jobs, and they, you know, said that they used." they used pepper spray and the taser and it didn't work but then there's a question of what did were they scared of him because he's a black man and because this is something that we've seen all over the world it's it's very difficult to remove one from the other as a as a community so there is that fear in our community and there is that that um those questions are coming up and that's really like it's something that's quite disheartening for us um as irish as black irish people because we have great respect for the police and you know the the guardia are great but it's really something that we don't want a situation where um there's potentially biases that's coming into their interaction with us as people of african descent and potentially putting us as at at a greater risk than people of uh, who are non-racialized so that's that that's that's for me is the the racism when he's asked the question about racism in the community and racism in policing that's been like the feedback that i've been getting um on that in that sense but of course the research will dig deeper and see to what extent this is actually present and be able to measure it as well
0: there's, really, there's two really important things in what you're saying there. Firstly, and I don't think we hear this enough um, in mainstream media, is that um, members of the African descent community um, do already report um, levels of force and brutality, as you say, um, and that it is a concern and a fear that people have. Um, and Because I, I think a lot of white Irish people um, think the guards are grand in that respect, so it's really important that we listen and hear about those stories. But secondly, that point that what overlays with that is a concern about policing generally because police culture is quite universal. And I know, Lucy, you were talking a lot about this on Twitter last night about how that, that bias and how racism comes into policing, so could you explain that maybe a bit more?
2: I think certainly, you know, as Nana has said, there are experiences that, uh, young black people have had and their families have had with policing in Ireland, which, um, I have raised questions for them about the accountability of the organization. Um, you know, we can certainly talk about, you know, the few bad apples that might be in any organization. And this really isn't about the, uh, the extent to which there might be a racial motivation in this death. This is about an organization that has Consistently over the last decade, refused to be adequately accountable for the experiences of policing uh, that black communities in Ireland have had. Uh, has refused to be open and transparent about that. Um, has inadequately resourced the diversity unit over years. Uh, has it provided inadequate training for its officers at every level, um, and has had quite significant resistance within the service from serving guardie to taking training on bias. So we've seen that. We've seen uh, resistance to uh, the implementation of a human rights framework. Um, And uh, African and black communities in Ireland are perfectly right to ask, are they safe with an organization policing them uh, who is supposed to protect them adequately uh, and treat them fairly? uh, That won't be accountable. So this is not about a a conversation about the bad apple uh, police officer. This is absolutely about the organization and whether it is fit for purpose in this respect, we we saw the Commission for the Future of Policing, which uh, Inar uh, did an extensive submission to based on uh, evidence from iReport report of the kinds of experiences that Nana talked about. There are ongoing court cases across the country right now uh, that involve cases of police brutality against young black men. But of course, you don't hear about them because communities, families don't want to talk about um where their children have been made suspects. They're, they're quite, uh, you know, they quite a- appropriately feel that they don't want to uh, to to make their name worse um when they are innocent. Uh, so when you end up in a situation like this, where you've got somebody who is a suspect in such a high profile mediated case where all of the details are being discussed right from the off. Um, you know, it, it, people in the community are nervous to 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 say there's a problem. The reason that they have come out so strongly to say we want to know what happened here and we want to know that we are going to be safe is because despite the fact that so many people are, are, are determined to focus on uh, the criminality uh, that, this, uh, that George and Kenjo is, is suspected of, um, that, that they know that the same kinds of uh, statements are made about their children, about their brothers and sisters, the same kinds of attitudes are there, um, and that the Angarda Kona has consistently tolerated um, unfair and discriminatory policing over the last decade, two decades. Um, and has been uh, inadequately transparent about that. Um, and certainly, you know, in so many of the cases that I've worked with, um, there has been disappointment in GSOC uh, and its ability, um, structurally, uh, as well as in terms of its results, um, to tackle the kinds of uh, discriminatory policing that we've seen here in Ireland. Yeah.
1: And we might and come you know, back to, to GSOC. To add to that. Sorry. Yes, Dana. Yeah, so to add to that, I was talking to some of my Irish friends and they were saying, though, what's GSOC? But it's crazy because everybody in my community knows exactly what GSOC is and who GSOC is. Because that's that's like, because there's so many complaints. <laughs> you know, we know exactly who they are. So it's just, um yeah, just to add to that.
0: No, and that's that's a striking point. Um, we might come back to talk about GSOC and just kind of the next um, in a little while, but I suppose just to add to that, I mean, we do have like clear findings in relation to this. The, the Ionan audit report of the noughties found quite clearly that there was institutional racism in Angarda corner The Children's Ombudsman a few years ago, we may remember that case of the Roma child that was removed from their home, um, that was found to be, um, you know, racist decision making. And this is. It is a part of police culture universally: racism, conservatism, um, and you know that it, it can influence decision-making processes. Um, and so it's you know it's something that has to be worked exceptionally hard to mitigate against. Yeah. The other factor, obviously, um, which it seems may be a part of this case, we don't know the facts yet, um, is that. This man, we are told, suffered from mental illness. Um, I'm not sure if either of you want to comment on that dimension of of policing and and how they should be. We would like to see them engaging with um, persons with mental illnesses.
1: Yes, so I'll just come in there briefly. Thanks, Anna. So I mean, yes. So I mean, his family, I mean, his siblings, particularly, have you know said stated very clearly that you know that's George. Did suffer from mental illnesses we don't know exactly the nature of it but it is it, i mean from what they've said it's one that's perhaps you know influenced um the, the decision making that that the decisions that he made in 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 that in the initial attack or in the initial um erratic behavior that he that he that he was um not seen to to be to be um carrying out so i mean so that's something that they stated, and I, his brother spoke at the protest today, and said that. I mean, this is what his brother said: that he he was clearly not stable. Why didn't they see that? Like they should have been able to know. They should have been able to de- to note that he wasn't okay. He was erratic and irrational, and they should have paused and been a bit more thoughtful. So that's something that we not just uh, the the black community but i think the wider irish society i mean mental health care and mental mental illness is something that many people are at risk of and especially with the current situation it, the, the level of care that we have and support is not as much as it was before because we don't have the social aspects that could help people release so of course it i think it's not it's not strange to, to for people to have episodes and it's see an increase of potential episodes in the future because of the lockdown particularly so for me i think as an as an irish citizen as an irish resident i i i want to i want to be assured that our our guardi are very are capable particularly when you call in the armed forces who are especially trained are capable of not just um i'm not saying they need to be able to diagnose you know someone who's mentally ill but are capable of at least you know um seeing some signs of perhaps erratic behavior that 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 isn't particularly um, normal and being able to de-escalate a situation in a in an effective in a manner that should that you know should not lead to lethal force so that lethal force should be the absolute last resort so for me like to say that he like you know the mental health um illness that he suffers from is the reason why and then that's that's therefore that's why the guardian had to protect themselves it kind of says "Well, sure like so many of us suffer from mental ill health does that mean that we our lives are at, are at risk if we have an episode that so i think that's something that we that the, that the guardian need to really look at in terms of the training and the the raising the awareness about how to handle situations because you will meet different people in society Andy, like I, I, it's, I, I think it's, it's, it's just so, so paramount to be aware of that, and that should, and people who suffer from mental ill health should not, it shouldn't be a death sentence. you know, it shouldn't lead to lethal force being, the, the, the last, the, the, It shouldn't lethal force should really be like even further, further last, in that, in those situations.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is something I feel very, very strongly about, um, not only because as I've disclosed on Twitter, I suffer from mental illness myself, but um, there is so much work around how this can be managed better. As you say, the guards cannot diagnose an illness. They are, they are not psychiatrists, nor should they be. Um, and it's about the appropriate... And work being put to the appropriate trained professionals. So what we should have, and as reports have called for time and again over the last 15, 16 years, we should have joint response crisis teams that include psychiatrists and psychiatric nurses who can be there at the scene. I mean, I've heard wonderful examples of situations in other countries where the nurse can come along and have had access to the file and be able to say, just don't mention his father because that's a real trigger point for him and have that knowledge and the capacity and to do it in a joint way. Because, yes, if an individual has a knife, you probably do need a police presence in case um, it's required. But that as a first step, you would try and engage in a, in a treatment based approach um, that, you know, to prevent the kind of situation that has occurred. And then, as Lucy says, due process can kick in after that. Do you want to come in there, Lucy?
2: I think that's that's really the point, you know, is that, you know, in, in talking to people yesterday, people saying, like, do we need, it, given that there's a mental health uh, context to this, do we need to be talking about race at all? Uh, you know, is that not muddying the waters? Is that not confusing the issue? Here's what happens when we look at the UK research on uh, deaths at the hands of police. Uh, many of the suspects who have um suffered from lethal force uh, in the UK, have been people who have had mental illnesses, many of whom have been um, on medication, are known patients uh, of mental health services. Um, and, uh, you know, in some cases, it's that somebody's medication isn't working. In some cases, it's that they've given up the medication for various reasons, as, as we know many people do. Um, in other cases, it's somebody who's been undiagnosed before. Um, what what is very clear is that there is an intersection between uh, racial stereotyping and unconscious bias and mental health so people uh, bystanders are more likely to call the police um, on somebody who is not white if they're experiencing a psychotic episode than to call other services whereas they're more likely to call um uh, health related services if the person is white uh, again in terms of the policing response police are more likely to escalate it up to uh, greater use of force if the person is black, um, and again, you know that escalation includes calling an armed support unit. Now, obviously, in this case, we don't know the exact details of what was happening and what the decisions were being made. The questions I've been asking is: Can we make sure that in uh, that in the investigation that follows, that we address the 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 ways in which bias can play into decision making in terms of escalation of force, uh, and can we ensure that the policies? of the organisation and the practice and the training address that. Um, so you know, one thing about investigations, of course, and I know we're going to come on to this, is that they look specifically at a, a particular incident. Uh, what I really want is that this is an, a, a moment to acknowledge the, the nervousness that our people are feeling. Um, ethnic minority and migrant communities often experience a higher rate of mental illness because of the impacts of racism in every area of their lives. Um, that makes them more vulnerable when those start to play into bias around policing. So we want to be really certain that in Guerdushukana are not going to follow in the paths of UK police forces in making those mistakes. We really like to prevent us going down that path. Um, the Institute for Race, Race Relations in the UK have documented over the last twenty years, you know, numerous cases, hundreds of cases, where people have been killed at the hands of of police in that escalation of force. Um, connected to mental illness so we really want to to uh, to be proactive in terms of ensuring that's part of the discussion um I, and uh, and to say that you know let's not discount race as one element of the uh, the thing because these things intersect they play into one another so it isn't that he was killed because he was a black man it's that the fact that he was a black man may well have played into the unconscious decision making of officers involved
0: and I think as well it's about acknowledging the the broader system failures that may perhaps have played into this in that, you know, if there is a problem like that, Joe Citizen, who are you going to call? There is only the police. They're the only people that provide that kind of, you know, you, could, you call an ambulance if somebody's injured, but um, people in fear of how somebody's behaving will invariably call the police. And what we need is a greater 24-7, Um, psychiatric and social care response that's available Um, and the Commission of the Future of Policing looked at this in terms of having nurses and psychiatric staff operating in police stations where they could be called to attend with officers at these scenes. Um, They are trained experts with advanced skills in dealing with these situations and they should be engaged in that. So We've mentioned a couple of times there is now due to be a GSOC investigation. We're told that's already commenced. Um, And this is what's called a Section 102 uh, investigation, which involves any instance where it appears that the conduct of a guard uh, may have resulted in death or serious harm to an individual. And As you point out, Lucy, we're, we're immediately into that space where it's about the conduct of the individual guard. It's focusing in straight there, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of people have come back and said, look, there's an investigation now. We should really acknowledge that these kinds of investigations are automatic. Uh, when somebody uh, is the subject of lethal force in Ireland. Um, and so the launching of an investigation doesn't actually tell us anything about what's going to happen later on. We have to very carefully monitor the narrative that's coming out um, and what's people expected. And I think the law and order narrative that we're seeing this morning uh, is, is really disappointing. Um, and really, we need to be thinking about that human rights framework and, and equality in policing. Um, I, you know, I just want to add to that, you know, just before we kind of get deeper into the investigation bit, these kinds of incidents will stop black families from calling for health care for their own families experiencing mental illness because they're afraid of policing getting involved. Um, So, you know, in terms of of that equality of service, this incident has so many knock-on effects. Uh, But not to distract from the conversation about investigation, let's go back to to that.
0: So what concerns do you have about the investigation?
2: For me, it's very much that, you know, from the off, there is a large community of people who, who do not know whether they can trust the the GSOC outcome. I, you know, many people who, who don't understand what that kind of investigation involves. And, and many people are looking for answers that a GSOC investigation can never give um no matter how well it's implemented and how how much of this it considers, it is not built to produce the kind of answers that we need after this incident. Um, and certainly the fears and concerns of the community that Nana has talked about and is researching um, are not going to be adequately addressed by the GSAC investigation. So it's going to be for uh, Senior Gardaí right away to be building trust, to be reassuring, to be committed to to openness and transparency. Uh, that's what we've got to see right now and we've got to see our political leaders uh, uh, supporting them in that and calling for that uh, rather than to say wait let's see what GSOC says because that's pushing the can down the road and uh, knowing that GSOC aren't going to be able to give us the answers that we want anyway.
0: And it will take time I mean you know a GSOC investigation is not speedy Um, I've, I've heard some people complain about delays and so on but that you know there is a lot of evidence to be gathered in these kind of cases. Um, it will be, I mean, just for any listeners wondering, it, it will be an independent investigation, in that, there won't be Gardy involved in it. Um, and they have significant policing powers that enabled them to conduct these investigations. But as you say, it's focused on the individual. It was one of the recommendations of the Commission on the Future Policing that the new body that replaces G GSOCs should investigate incidents, which would look at what was the supervision like on the day? Was the training adequate? Was the equipment adequate? You know, all of these factors could be taken into account. Do you have concerns, Nana, in relation to the investigation?
1: Yes, so myself I, I I previously volunteered with um um African organization and we we would have had people bring complaints to us and we would have helped them with the G process and like none of them <laughs> have had the outcome that that's the um uh, that the that the that, that the complainants um wanted. So we we've gone through GSOC numerous times. So the concerns that we have, that, that I'm seeing in the community, is lads GSOC is not effective. They don't care about us. They push the paper and they just, you know, they would never ever, um, they would never criminalise or make a decision that yes, the guardy's actions were are, are one that should should lead to um, crim- criminal um, sanctions or, or penalty. Their own. That's so. That's that. That's so. That's the sentiment that I'm hearing. But then, of course, there are those who who believe that you know because of the gravity of this situation in terms of the fact that this isn't this isn't um, a, a, a situation of police brutality where someone was beat up or called the N-word by the guardy, but this is a situation where someone's life was taken. That's so where there's a sentiment that this will be taken a lot more seriously than the others have been because someone has lost his his life and someone's child is, is lost has been lost here. So there is the so there, there are those two sides um, of it but like like Dr. Lucy said that, I mean I, 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 we had a, we had a town hall meeting yesterday online and people were saying yes okay we need to bring a civil action against the state we need to bring criminal actions against against the the guardian. so the people people's expectations is, is really it's not going is it will be quite disappointed in the fact that those things really are are not in immediate you can't just bring the guardi to, to the courts um of, of an for an for assault it has to go through that process so there, there is so, so definitely i think when people when the process starts and it has started the outcome we we do hope the outcome will be different from the other outcomes where there will be further action taken but then again like like we've said even if at the meeting yesterday, people we weren't really looking to target the individual who did this. It, it was really a thing of this, this the whole this institution and the system that allowed this to be to, to to happen to begin with. So I definitely I believe that it'll be hugely welcomed by by the, the entire Irish society. Where we're not just looking at individual guardie who who engage in misconduct, but we're looking at the, the the whole team or the supervision and the whole institution to see what processes, what pol- policies, what procedures were not taken or that need to be put in place to ensure that regardless of a guardie's personal biases or personal inadequacies, he he or she will not be able to even take a that's a step that step that could that could lead to um, lethal force being um, being something that's I mean our committee says that the people have saying that they didn't see it as uh, as, as necessary so it's, uh, yeah so that's something that I think we're definitely looking for from, from the investigation a, a hopefully a positive outcome but honestly from what I've heard people aren't aren't um, aren't so keen on that because of the prior Experiences that we've had—I mean, numerous. I don't know if I—if I can recount some of the exp- some of the stories that have that have come to, that have come from the from the Guardian Police brutality cases before, and they have been um, they have not been dealt with um, adequately by GSOC. So there's that thing of if they didn't they didn't if, they, if we didn't get justice for Moya, how are we going to get justice for for George? So so that's that's the sentiment that I've um, noticed. Um, within the community
0: as you say we'll we'll retain hope that um there is you know a really thorough investigation and obviously the the ECHR standards of was the force used reasonable necessary and proportionate um should be key to that investigation but as I said that's going to take some time Nana, what do communities need from the guards and from the state in the short term
1: Yes, yeah, so in the so based on this immediate fear of are we safe? Are my children safe? Are my sons safe? Are my daughters safe? I think we immediately need the guard need to begin to engage with the community, not just with the community leaders. I mean, they are great, but things don't always pass down to the rest of the, of the people. So I think we definitely need the guards to come out, make public statements, you know, reassuring people that, you know, that's. This is not this is not the beginning of of of, 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 um, of mass of mass 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 of this behavior is not going to be the status quo like this is not this is not something that we should fear this is something that will be investigated and this is not who we are this happened but this is not what the Guard stands for the Guard is not does not look into to, to enforce legal force. On a regular basis in the future, so I think we really need the guardian not just to speak to the individual. Um, I know they're speaking to indiv- some organisations. I know the guardian still there, guardian colette of the youth division. She's spoken to the leaders, but it needs to speak down to the young people themselves and to the people within the community. So I think a public statements that they need to they need to come out and say like we are with you on this, like we, we simply empathise. And I think some 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 senator, I mean, I know senator Lynn ran. And, um, and, and and another another CD has have come out and shown the, and empathized with the family. So even things like that, I think there needs to be not just from the from the guards, from the official, from the guardie, but also from the government. Just knowing that hearing that we empathize, you know, with the family and we're we are, and reassurance that's island. Because I mean, we're sitting here and we're literally watching America and every what's going through, you know. Everyone's mind, and the reason why the Black Lives Matter movements was so prominent, even in Europe, was that we have suffered a number of racial discriminatory incidents, and 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 we've lived in the race in a racialized community in Ireland. So that that was so that's what we were even fighting in, during the Black Lives Matter movement. and we're saying that we don't want it to get any worse. So to see this, and then to potentially add the um, racism elements to it is such a blowback. And it's to to the community, so we need reassurance from our white Irish colleagues and friends and family and and fellow citizens to say that we are on your side this is not this is not the Ireland that that we want. we don't want you know political force to be a norm when it comes to black bodies or any bodies to be honest, so I think we just really need to see that in the public sphere coming out um uh, just not just empathize and sympathize and reassure the community that this is not us um and yeah and of course seeing that in action over over the next few decades
0: yeah i think i think you're really right to call for that reassurance and i think it's been really stark but helpful today certainly for me to hear those kind of that sense of fear among communities um lucy you want to come in there
2: yeah, I mean, let's just put this back in a wider context. You, the United Nations this year called for the Irish government to put a ban on racial profiling, which we don't have, which is highly unusual in a country like Ireland, uh, to not have a ban on racial profiling. We also have them calling for uh, the state to produce disaggregated data on race in policing, um, in arrests, uh, as well as in, in terms of hate crimes and victimisation. Um, and the state have failed to do that. You know, So the wider context to this is that there are many things that the state can do to reassure, apart from addressing this particular incident, this constituency that it happened in is the constituency of the tonishley over adker of the minister of state jack chambers and of the minister for children equality diversity inclusion and youth Roderick gorman um you know so there is certainly uh, an opportunity for political leadership here if they choose to take it uh, and i would urge them to do so uh, rapidly both in terms of this incident and in terms of those wider issues that will increase trust in the police including that ban on racial profiling and the production of disaggregated data
0: Mm, the policing authority has been calling for that um, data on ethnicity for some time now okay well look thank you both so much Nana and Lucy and particularly Nana in what is um, a very difficult time and we are very sorry for your loss um, thanks to Tony Groves for producing this and a huge thanks to the listeners for engaging and sharing we'll be back with more in 2021 so please continue to support the work at patreon.com forward slash tortoise for immediate access to all of this content and Here's to a safe and healthy 2021, thank you.